straightforwardness that you see in the book of James. If there's one word that I've heard a hundred times, if I've heard it ten in the last three weeks, is uh, patience. (laughs) Everybody has exhorted me to be patient, Pastor, to don't do too much too quick, to uh, just wait and take it easy and don't push it. Everyone concerned about my welfare has just continually encouraged me thus, and uh, I certainly appreciate uh, the love and the concern um, to not do too much too soon, but certainly this idea of patience has been on my mind. Uh, It's been uh, brought to the forefront uh, continually, even uh, as I'm sitting in a chair and, and wanting to go do work and uh, even if when I give the kids some jobs around the house and I want you guys to get these done and, and, you know, I'll walk out there and stand and it's hard for me not to pick up a shovel or a rake and get involved and, and try and help. And, you know, I'll, I'll find a loose rake and get involved some. But, you know, just that trying to exercise some patience and, and to wait. We see in our text here in James chapter 5 some familiar verses, but uh, James is a... Uh, promoter of this. It's one of the themes in his book. But in verses 7 through 11, uh, we see our text today and the scripture we're going to be walking through and just be draw some challenges for it. Don't expect to be too long <coughs> this morning. But uh, we see beginning in verse number 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender of mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. I ask that you would take the simple thoughts from the pages of Scripture this morning. They're simple thoughts, but the profound truths that are presented with the authority of the Word of God. And I ask you, Lord, that you would settle them in our hearts and remind us of this practical truth this morning of how we need to exercise and use patience in in our lives and to display that Christ-like character. Lord, we pray you would use this thought in Jesus' name. Amen. James focuses on this idea of patience in several places. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read it for you. But in James 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Uh, I've uh, heard that men say that uh, you just, one of the things you, you never really want to pray for is patience because uh, as soon as you start praying for that, God's going to try and give it to you. Uh, you know, I had one guy, I was reading about one guy that prayed for patience and he said, Lord, I, I, I want you to give me patience. I don't want you to teach me patience. I just want you to give it to me. You know, many times God's method of allowing us to learn something is that we go through something. And uh, oftentimes the way that we we are forced to learn patience is not the way we want to get it. 
We would much rather just be handed to us or somehow be endowed to us and, and all of a sudden we have that character trait, but that's not the way it works. We see that it is the trying of your faith that worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. Patience is also performing and working something in you that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Of course, when the Bible speaks about us being perfect, that is an implication or the idea is being mature, of being grown up, being mature as a Christian, being what God wants us to be. And so patience brings maturity. Many times, uh, impatience is a sign of immaturity. <coughs> Trying to understand this idea of patience, there was a Sunday school teacher that was teaching her class of young ladies, and she was expounding to them these deep biblical truths, and to test the, t the children's knowledge, she said, okay, uh, we've learned about patience, can you tell me what patience is? And one of the little girls, oh, 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 raised her hand, and me, me, and she got called on, and this little girl said, well, patience is when you're sitting up in the auditorium, and the preacher is preaching, and you're just sitting there, and the preacher is preaching, and you're just sitting there, and the preacher just keeps preaching, and you keep sitting there, that's patience. <laughs> I hope this morning that I don't try your patience. Uh, I hope uh, that that's not how you learn patience this morning. We want to see several things. First of all, in this text, we see an exhortation to be patient. James says to him, be patient, therefore. Verses 7 through 9, kind of, he's telling us, you know, hey, we, we need to have this patience in our life. It's something that should be present. It ought to be part of the believer's heart and a part of the believer's practice to be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Listen, we need to be patient in the form of preparation. In the form of preparation. We see that example given us to the husbandman there, the preparing, the work, the effort, the time, the preparation that needs to be put in to accomplish or do anything. You know, as I said, many times impatience is a sign of immaturity. It is the younger, you know, the older you get, it seems like you, you just kind of naturally maybe get a little more patient. You're not quite, in, in quite as big of a hurry as you used to be. Uh, you ever been behind somebody that was going 15 miles an hour under the speed limit? <laughs> and you're just like, please turn at the next corner. Please turn at the next corner. Every corner you pass. And then they turn on the street you got to turn onto. And you're like, oh, why? And you're following them longer. You know, that exercise in patience. The younger people are, the, the more they're looking for the next thing. They always want to uh, accomplish, oh, I can't wait till I'm five. Or all of their birthdays are, I'm almost six. I'm almost seven. Or I'm going to be eight. I'm looking to nine. I can't wait until I'm 13. I'm going to be a teenager. Oh, well, they get to be a teenager. And then it's, I can't wait until I'm 16 and I can drive. Oh, I can't wait till I'm 18 and I can uh, get out of the house and get out from under mom and dad. And oh, I can't wait until uh, I get this or I get that. Just always looking for the next thing. It seems to be a sign of immaturity, part of the, the youthful. Uh, boy, if we could just teach the youth to just be patient. Some say, oh, I can't wait to get married. Well, you better. You better, amen. Yeah, you got to be patient. Just wait on God. Just wait on God. Let, let God take you through those steps. Uh, those of you that have a few more years on you, it's going to come fast enough, isn't it? 
Yeah, it, it's going to come fast enough. I know, kids, it seems like forever. That next birthday seems like it's like 10 years away, and it's only one. Then you get to be, uh, you know, Brother Hunt's age, and it seems like the birthdays are coming faster and faster. Uh, it's like, like just yesterday, I had a birthday. How is it my birthday again already? What in the world? Uh, you know, it's like, I'm going to move on. <laughs> We need to be patient. He gives that illustration of the farmer, the farmer that has done all of his preparation. He's tilled the ground. He's planted the seed. He's hoed the weeds, but he has to be patient. He says here, waiting for that early and latter rain. Do you know what the rain represents? The rain represents the things that you can't do anything about. Being patient you know, the farmer was to get out and do all that he can do. And sometimes, and beloved, you should do what you can do. But there are some things that you aren't in control of and there's nothing you can do about it. He says, be patient. Just wait. Wait on God. There's great maturity in learning how to wait. Learning how to be patient on God and God's timing for when things are brought into your life whether that's a, a new job or relief from a trial or a change in a situation or the next step. I was talking to one of the men in our church this week. He's not that old, <coughs> but he was discussing retirement. And some people can't wait. I got three more years, preacher. <laughs> three more years and I'm done with this, you know, the day-to-day -day job, the work. I, I think I can retire and I'll be okay. You know, just looking for that next thing. It's going to come. Be patient. Only when we've learned how to wait patiently on God will we have peace in the storm. You might know that God is there. You might know he's with you. But until you've learned to wait on him, you really don't have peace in the storm. The storm is there and you're conscious, aware of his presence, but you just don't have peace. We need to have patience in the form of preparation. We need to have patience in the fires of persecution. You see, James is exhorting his brethren here to patience. They were looking for the coming of the Lord. This longing and looking for the coming of the Lord was brought on because of persecution. And nothing will make you long for the return of your Lord and Savior more than persecution. <coughs> Excuse me. When you're, when you're under the gun, when you're facing the, the fire, when you're being persecuted, you're saying, oh, Lord, even so, come quickly. Uh, just, Lord, oh, if he would just come, he would get us out of this mess and we could be done with this battle and with all of this fighting and all of this turmoil and struggle. And this is what the early church, the Christians here, were under great persecution and they were earnestly looking, longing for the coming of the Lord and Savior. Christians were despised and rejected in his day. You know, beloved, we as Christians here in America, we've been spoiled. We've really been spoiled by a, by a nation that not only has not, uh, up until recent times, not only has not persecuted Christians, but it was almost in vogue to be a Christian. It was almost a good thing to be a Christian. Well, that was recognized and promoted. You got people that running for office. They haven't been in church in 15 years, but all of a sudden they're Christians. That's right. 
You know, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And they put that on their ballot because it was something that was recognized because they can try and hide it or, or deny it all they want. But the fact of the matter is this was a Christian nation. And we have been blessed to be in a place like this and have not had to endure the kind of persecution that took place in the early church here. Where, but we are reaching that day. It's coming. It's less and less popular to believe this book. It's less and less popular to stand. Oh, everybody wants to talk about the love of Christ. But they don't want to talk about the truths that dictate how you live. Then they want to deny that God even exists. Nobody can tell me how to live. Nobody can say what is right and what is wrong. The crazy thing is the morality, uh, the morals of God are written on the heart of man. People know in their inner being what is right and what is wrong. And why, why is that there? Everybody wants to establish their own moral standard. They want to say, oh, uh, well, you say, well, is it okay if I kill somebody? Well, surely not. You can't, no, you can't do that. Well, why? Well, because it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Well, because it's, it's wrong. Well, who says it's wrong? Well, society says it's wrong. Well, what if they change that? You see, it's, what's right and wrong is not based on whatever we think or feel or whatever society has decided is acceptable. There has to be a moral standard. There has to be an unchanging law. And that is the word of God. And I'll tell you, Christian, we're reaching a time in America where we're going to be persecuted for it. In James' time, they were persecuted. They were blamed for all the ills of society. They like to use the word fundamentalist today in a very derogatory and negative way. Let me encourage you. The, the, the word in and of itself just means you believe the fundamentals of the doctrines of the faith of the word of God. But this world today, the way they want to attack people that stand on the word of God. James and his fellow brethren were despised and rejected and they were persecuted for their good works. Wickedness was applauded and righteousness was abhorred. And we are coming to that place in this country. Well, you need to be patient when persecution comes. We know that Paul tells us our light affliction is but for a moment and worketh for us far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I don't know what persecution you've gone under. I know sometimes it's from family members. Family would persecute you for going to church, for wanting to do good, for wanting to try and be a good person. Like, why do you go to church? You know why they persecute, persecute, persecute you? Is because their conscience is being pricked by your good deeds. And they don't like a light shined on their darkness. So they're going to persecute you for it. Let me encourage you, be patient. Be patient. God knows what you're going through. God knows where you're at. God knows what you're enduring. This side of heaven, we won't right every wrong. We can't fix every problem. But we need to be patient. We need to be patient in the form of preparation and the fire of persecution, we need a patient in the face of our own problems. You know, beloved, it rains on the just and the unjust. It rains on everybody. Everybody has problems. It rains on the just and the unjust. 
But not every day. But not every day. The fact of the matter is, is we do enjoy a lot of days of sunshine. But how easy is it for us on a cloudy day to forget all those days of sunshine? On the day when it's raining, it's inconvenient, it's a challenge, it's a burden, whatever the problem might be, we tend to forget about the, the burdens or the blessings that we enjoyed. We, we are in the valley, and, and the valley is low, and that's hard, but we forget about the mountaintop that we had to come off of to get into the valley. We forget about all of the great blessings. I just got a text from somebody this morning. Just I don't know exactly when it came in. I saw it during the song service here. Uh, but somebody said, well, I wanted to be in church today, but my car broke down and uh, we couldn't come. But I praise God for the three years that we had a vehicle that ran without problems. Amen. That's the way we should be as Christians. Right. Yeah, it rains on the just and the unjust, and we have some bad days, and we endure a flat tire or an exploding water heater or a broken furnace or a doctor bill or whatever it might be, the burden that comes. But praise God for all the days the sun was shining. Amen? Amen. And this too shall pass. This too shall pass. It's not going to be here forever. It rains, but not every day. You know, the greatest trying of your patience is often in our own homes. Could I encourage you, husbands, to be patient with your wife? Could I encourage your wives to be patient with your husband? I don't know why it is that we oftentimes are more patient and more understanding with a stranger in a grocery store than we are with our own family members. We need God's help, we need strength, we need to strive to be patient with one another. He says in verse number eight there, be also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That word establish means to make stable. You know, the impatient man is not stable. He's not stable. He really doesn't have the money to go buy that car, but he is impatient. He's gonna just go get it. I just got to have a car. I'm just going to get a car. I've got to get a car. And he goes and buys a car and creates a mess. Why? Because he was impatient. He didn't want to wait for the right time, for the right car, for God to bring the, the, the right thing along. Impatient man is unstable. Boy, this situation has got to be fixed. You know, ladies, let me encourage you. <laughs> I just want to help you. Amen. Sometimes it might be wiser to let your husband cool off. Ladies love to talk it through. They love to just, we need to talk about this. We, I need, we got to solve this problem. We need to talk about it right now. But right now might not be the right time. Might, might be wiser just to wait a few minutes. You know, Sometimes the Holy Spirit, well, the Holy Spirit can always do a better job than you. <laughs> but sometimes, ladies, if you would let the Holy Spirit have some time to work, your husband might come around on his own with, with, with the Holy Spirit instead of you driving him to it, right? That might help your relationship a little bit. Praise the Lord, we've been married 28 years. 
A few more years, Mary will have that figured out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, she, she really has, uh, and, and it's, I'm the one with the problem, so I'm not knocking her at all. I'm the one with the problem, but I get impatient. I get kind of, she wants to talk about it, and I'm just like, listen, now, that's, that's every three or four years when we have a disagreement, okay? <laughs> uh, we've got something like, oh, what happened? And she wants to talk about it, and, and I just like, not now. We can talk. And when we just got married, we had been married maybe less than a year or something. She just would not stop. She just kept on. And I said, hon, I'll be back. But I'm going to go get in that car. And I'm going to go drive before I do something that I shouldn't do or say something I shouldn't say. And I left and I drove around for a couple hours. And... uh you know, by the, time, by the time I came back, I was ready to tell her, listen, I messed up. I'm, I'm the idiot. I'm the one with the problem. I need you to forgive me. But I would have never said that as long as she was still driving me. You know what I'm saying? It might be just be patient. You have to learn how it works in your relationship, but just wait. Have some patience. Be patient with one another. Nobody's perfect. We need stability in our homes. We need stability in our lives. When we're impatient, there is no stability there. I'm excited about the phrase here that he says here, be establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You see, how long are we supposed to be patient? Not just until we get what we want. Not just until we're freed from our trial or our trouble. Not just until the kids are out of the house or until we retire. We're supposed to be patient until the coming of the Lord. But this is presented in a different way. This is presented to us not as a goal, as I just stated it, but it's presented as a finish line. And you say, well, what's the difference? The idea is that the end is coming. There's a time when you won't have to hang on anymore. There's coming a day when the battle will be done. There's coming a time when you don't have to live with that trouble or that trial or that struggle or that burden. There's coming a day you just hold on and be patient and keep going for the Lord. Until when? Because the coming of the Lord draweth nigh the day when the burden will be lifted and the heartache is gone and the struggle is over. It's closer than it's ever been. That He's going to break the eastern sky before we know it. You just got to hold on for a little longer. Be patient for a little longer because God is coming soon. It's a finish line and we can look to that day and know that it's only until he comes and then the burden will be gone. In verse number nine, we're exhorted and encouraged to grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. That word grudge there means literally to grumble, to murmur, to complain. I guess that's one of the hardest things while you're being patient to not complain about it, right? I'm, I'm patiently waiting, uh, but we're complaining the whole time. We're, we're grumbling the whole time. But he specifically says here, grudge not one against another. 
That means to grumble, to complain, to murmur about one another. You know, beloved, other people have burdens too. I know sometimes we are so consumed with our own burden, our own struggle, our own trial, whatever it might be, we we have a thousand excuses for ourselves. But we look at uh, Lauren and say, she's got no excuses. Why did she do that? There's no reason she should be feeling that way. You don't know what's going on in her life. You don't know what burden she's carrying. From outside, you think everything's perfect and she's got no burdens and she's fine and everything. She's got, you know, everything just uh, sugar and spice and everything nice. And so we murmur and complain or grumble or grudge against one another because you don't understand. And, And James is saying, listen, be patient with one another. Don't don't lose your patience with one another. Other people have burdens too. Other people are facing trials too. They're facing struggles. And sometimes those struggles are so great, you can't even imagine it. You you, you just don't know what the person down the pew is bearing. You don't know. How heavy their heart is. And oh, how we need to have patience with one another. He gives to us the example of patience here. There are several. He says in verse number 10, 11, and 12, he says, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction. He says, hey, remember these brethren? Remember the prophets? Remember what they went through? There's an example for you. That word example literally means a pattern to follow. Like you would trace a letter on a piece of paper. Those of you that teach the kindergarten and first grade and you're teaching them penmanship and you're showing them, they begin by tracing that letter on another piece of paper, another letter to learn how to shape it and to write it correctly, to trace that. He's saying, hey, there's an example you can follow. Remember the prophets. Remember the brethren that have gone on before. Can you remember Elijah who waited at the brook and then the brook dried up? And then he had to go to the widow woman of Zarephath and God, each place he was following and waiting on God and God took care of him, but he was learning there as he was going through that, that when he thought there was no way, God made a way. There was a famine in the land and there was no water anywhere and then the brook dried up and he thought, what am I going to do? But God made a way. He waited on Mount Carmel, stood there face to face with all the prophets of Baal. Thought he was all alone, but God was standing with him. Remember Jeremiah? He surrendered to follow God's call in his life. He stood to preach and he thought everybody would love him, but everybody hated him. He was despised and rejected of men. He was accused and ridiculed. They spoke of killing him. Even his own family wanted to kill him. But he proclaimed the truth anyway. He was learning to be patient, to be faithful to the end. You remember Job? The story of Job, there's nothing like it. There is no one else who had to endure all that Job went through. There's no other... (coughs) 
person, a story that could be compared to it. But you know, through it all, God, we get to look at a bird's eye view because of the way God gave us that story. But you know, through it all, God did not tell Job why. He just told Job, he just told Job who. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job was not given a why he had to endure or go through all that, but he had a who. He had an understanding that God was in control and that whatever came, whatever burden he carried, whatever struggle he was facing or whatever loss he endured, he knew who was in control. And he learned to, through it all, to trust him. Lastly, this morning, I want you to see the enjoyment of patience. In verse number 11, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Just keeping on. You know there's joy in patience. Just seeing something through to the end. There's nothing like getting to the finish lining, knowing that you've put in 110% and you've done your best. There's joy in that. I appreciate the love and the concern of Hunt Valley Baptist Church and the church family here over these last few weeks and, of course, God's help in, in my recovery. I appreciate the compassion of the church family. On Thursday night, I came into church and Miss Mary Prenzel asked me how I was doing. I said, well, I'm doing much better. And she says, I'm glad you're doing better. I'm getting tired of praying for you. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the love, amen. (laughs) Yes, hallelujah. I'm, I'm glad I'm doing better too. Of course, she was, she was just joking, but... You know, there is joy in just doing right. Are you tempted to quit today? Don't quit. Are you facing opposition and tired of hanging in there? Hang in there. There's a story about a young man who was 17 years old and was involved in a car accident. The accident took, paralyzed him. And the thought is not lost on me how blessed I am to not be in the shape that Daryl was in. He was paralyzed from his neck down. And Daryl had a wheelchair that was specially designed for him, and you've seen them, but people who are in that condition, they had a little device that came and went into his mouth, and through his mouth and with his tongue, he was able to control his chair. And he had gotten very proficient at that, and they had some type of competition, uh, like a special Olympics event And Darrell was there, and he had learned how to control his chair really, really well, and he entered this event. And 
uh, as a young man, was excited about the opportunity, but there was a big crowd there, and uh, he started going through this and, and driving and overcoming these obstacles and just doing an amazing job, and then the crowd started cheering, and he started getting more and more nervous and more and more scared about the, these people. Just the cheering was distracting him, and he was just getting kind of, and, and ultimately he ended up, he, he was in the lead, and he was doing really good, but he ended up freezing. And the crowd looking on, kind of wondering, like, well, what happened? Why is he stopping? The crowd started quieting down and getting more and more quiet. And ultimately, there was almost a hush fell upon the whole crowd. And then you heard Daryl's mother's voice from the sideline, quietly saying, Daryl, don't quit. I need you. Daryl, don't quit. I need you. And Daryl, hearing the voice of his mom and the quietness of the crowd, took off again. Could I encourage you, Christian, don't quit. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. You may think you're an island to yourself, that there's nobody else watching, that uh, the, the, the trouble you're going through or the burden you're carrying isn't worth it, and you're just going to throw in the towel and be done. Could I tell you, don't quit. Somebody needs you. There's a brother, a sister in Christ. There's a young saint. There's, there's a child of God. There's a lost sinner that still needs your witness. Don't quit. Somebody needs you. There's joy. No greater joy than just enduring to the end. Christians, I bring this to a close. Could I implore you to keep on for God? Just keep on for God. The Lord's coming again. We only have to hang on till he splits the eastern sky. Just be faithful. And that day is drawing nigh. It's closer than it's ever been. And you look at the signs of the times and you think it can't be very long now. We don't know. Boy, I can tell you, I want him to find me faithful. Be patient. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Some of you are walking through the fire right now. Jesus is in there with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there. And there was like, there was a fourth one walking with him. There was like unto the Son of God. No, he's there.